This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam, And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have really a great show today. We're going to be talking about a number of interesting topics in relation to Palestine, obviously. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about, despite the international condemnation about facial recognition, the apartheid regime of Israel continues to use facial recognition against Palestinian civilians in, a, in its security apparatus. It's, they're condemned, but we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about how the Israelis have refused their big benefactor's request to reopen the consulate in Jerusalem for Palestinians. They flat out said no. And last and more more of a, a joy to me and to you, obviously, is that the Israeli ambassador to the UK, while giving a lecture, a lecture at the London School of Economics, was booed so and protested so loudly she had to be whisked away. So we'll be talking about all those things. But before we do that, we're going to be hearing from uh, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi, you know, founder and director of the Ahmed program at San Francisco State. And here we go again, Jamal. Yet again, the president of San Francisco State continues to side with big tech and big funders and big donors against free speech rights and against the rights of uh, a faculty member at San Francisco State and against, you know, Palestinian self-determination and First Amendment rights. So, Jamal, you and I have been through this so many times. We're going to talk about it. We meet with the presidents of San Francisco State every time they come in. They make promises, and then they completely cave to these funders. So we're going to be hearing from Professor Abdulhadi today on on the latest, what I consider, a failure to stand up. Yeah, and this is an ongoing battle with the administration at San Francisco State University. We've had Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi on the show several times, and right. now we're going on several years where she's trying to basically maintain the integrity of her own program, Ahmed, at San Francisco State University. I'm not going to go into the details because in the intro, we talk about, <laughs> about really the most recent incident because there are many others. Right. This is the most recent when in uh, September of 2020, uh, Zoom canceled an event that Dr. Abdelhadi and her colleague Tomomi uh, Kinokowa organized. And now, after uh, a hearing, because she, she filed a grievance, and after a uh, panel of academics and uh, faculty basically ruled in her favor, San Francisco State University president vetoed this. So let's, uh, let's listen to Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. In September 2020, Zoom canceled an event Professor Rabab Abdelhadi and her colleague, Timomi Kinukawa, organized featuring South African anti-apartheid activists and Palestinian feminist icon Leila Khalid. Zoom's cancellation came after the Silicon Valley tech giant succumbed to pressure mounted by the Israeli government the Anti-Defamation League, Stand With Us, and the Lawfare Project. A year after this event was canceled, a probe carried out by a faculty rights panel upheld a complaint filed by Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. This was seen as a huge victory for academic freedom and for Palestine. 
The faculty panel determined that San Francisco State University failed to protect professors Rabab Abdelhadi and Tomomi Kinukawa's academic freedom by providing an alternative platform in lieu of Zoom's fascistic cancellation. Then came San Francisco State University's President Lynn Mahoney and overruled her own faculty panel. Joining us to discuss this and more, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, Director of the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diasporas Studies Program, Ahmed, at San Francisco State University. Welcome again to Arab Talk, uh, Dr. Abdelhadi. Thank you for for having me, Jamal. Uh, good morning, good evening to your listeners, and it's uh, very I'm very happy to be back despite the terrible news from our president. This is like deja vu all over again, as a fastball baseball player <laughs> said. One can read one thing in President Mahoney's decision that really San Francisco State University pays lip service to academic freedom but turns against its own faculty on the on the issues of Palestine is this what's going on yes uh, this is this is uh, this is definitely what's going on it's very clear that there is a huge uh, hypocrisy and contradiction in what uh, SFSU president says and does and when you're saying is deja vu it also reminds us of actions of previous university's presidents this university president president mahoney when she took over in 2019 Actually, she came to San Francisco State. She, uh, she assumed her job right after I received that terrible death threat that you remember, Jamal, that uh, called me all sorts of names, you know, and as a, as a Muslim, as an Arab, as a woman, as an academic, uh, used a lot of uh, um, expletives, just what uh, Trump and others were saying. And SFS, actually, the first article that was written about her in the Golden Gate Express, the university paper, were asking her, what are you going to do about this, protecting your faculty? And she said that I'm going to be protecting my faculty. The problem is that this is 2019. President Mahoney also promised me that there will be support for the Ahmed Studies program. What we have seen is exactly the opposite. We've actually seen the university president collaborating with the pro-Israel group, colluding with pro-Israel group, like Lawfare and the groups that you've mentioned, Uh, actually partnering with them, and at the same time also completely, completely going against what academic freedom is. Academic freedom is not only lip service. You can't just say, I'm for academic freedom, but then do everything against it, just like James Baldwin says. You know, maybe I like what you say, but I really would like to see your deeds. Do your deeds match your actions and, and your words? If they do not match your words, then what do we make of your words? They don't mean anything. They're only basically ink on paper. And actually are more insulting, if you if you will. Israel has recently targeted six Palestinian human rights organizations, as you know, accusing them of terrorism. There is a coordinated campaign to vilify and criminalize academics in the U.S. and elsewhere uh, who criticize Israeli apartheid practices. Is there a connection between the two? Is this a coordinated effort? I mean, I find it like tone deaf for uh, the president to to overrule her own panel at a time 
when the world actually we know, for example, Human Rights Watch has labeled Israel as an apartheid state. Its own human rights organization, B'Tselem, also labeled it as an apartheid state. Everybody is criticizing Israel for its action, trying to vilify human rights organizations and, and vilify basically Palestinian civil society. And then she does the same thing on campus. Yes, uh, Jamal, I think this is, brings up three points. Let me just uh, say them briefly. One is that it is very clear that Israel has failed to crush Palestinians, their narratives, and their quest for freedom. Has, has, has failed. Zionism has failed in its effort. Now, when, when, when bullies fail, they get nastier. Bullies get bullier, get nastier, and so on. So this coordinated campaign is definitely is by the Israeli government and by its, uh, what we call apologists, the Israel lobby. Group. So I don't think it's sort of, it's not a cottage industry. It's actually a coordinated campaign. Instead of actually pressuring Israel to do the right thing, they're enabling and emboldening Israel what's going on. Second point I would say is that it is very much coordinated. So we see actually the same playbook in the language that describes Palestinian human rights organizations. They're human rights organizations, for God's sake, that describe me, that has attacked me. And also, just as we, as, as now, there's a huge probe by Associated Press 972 magazine and so on that actually showed that there is no basis, that even Israel internal agency, Shem Bet, has no basis for this. But this is sort of like a smoke screen to divert attention from the exposure of what Israel is doing. And this is the same thing with me, is that again and again and again, Zionists have accused me. The university itself has conducted multiple probes which are unfair and actually it was character assassination. And every single one of them, I came out of it squeaky clean, not only iffy, squeaky clean, but they continued. The second point is that you and I also remember from the 80s, the big campaign, you began by talking about the anti-apartheid activist, Ronnie Kassif, anti-Zionist anti-apartheid activist who was on our panel. There was a huge campaign, and there was also supporters of the apartheid regime in South Africa were also trying to kind of sugarcoat it, as they say, and then at the end of the day, you cannot salvage. You cannot salvage. I, I want to add. I want to add this because I don't know if our uh, viewers remember, but what you're talking about also in the 80s, the ADL was involved in the uh, basically uh, supporting the apartheid regime of South Africa and, and silencing opposition right here in the United States, in collaboration with the San Francisco Police Department. One officer was actually eventually was arrested because of, uh, of uh, he was spying on both Palestinian activists and on uh, anti-apartheid activists right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. This right, is and, and in one of their homes, they actually found the key to the home of Alex Hode, the, uh, the uh, ADC coordinator of the West Coast who was assassinated by people who were connected with the Jewish Defense League, who some of them are hiding in Israeli settlements in Palestine. So the thing is, it's not only that. Actually, the Jerusalem Post had multiple articles showing South African uh, Zionists supporting South Africa and saying that, and at one point during the Intifada, Israel said, they, they were asked, why aren't you using water cannons against Palestinian protesters? They said, we ran out, we gave them to South Africa. I mean, there is this whole, co it's not only about the cooperation, it's really the point is that there is a, this is a regime that's bankrupt. This is a system that's colonial, that's racist, that in, is involved in apartheid, that's repressing people. And so what is happening is that there is an attempt, just like the Reagan administration at the time said, let's engage in constructive engagement. Let's talk to South Africa and see what's going on. This is exactly what President Mahoney has done too. The only way we can do it is talk. And if you recall, by the way, in November last year, 2020, 
The student government at San Francisco State passed a resolution demanding that the university divest from companies that further the occupation, the military occupation. President Mahoney wrote to the student and said, I'm rejecting your democratic uh, decision, just the same way as she did now, completely disregarding the faculty. I'm not going to do it. You need to talk. And we're saying, President Mahoney, where do you live? Which world do you live in? Don't you think that it might be actually much more beneficial for you to, to face reality and see what's going on and join the rest of the world, not actually be in the camp that supports repression, colonialism, Zionism, intimidation, and McCarthyism. I mean, this is what, what the pro-Israel groups are doing. And in that sense, also, it's a huge violation of academic freedom for university to enable Zoom to veto the content of our classrooms. This is unheard of. This is this is this is has far-reaching implications to all academic academics and all, all university programs and so on. So it's actually quite disgraceful and quite uh, disappointing. And when you say deja vu, I'm kind of like thinking that, you know, maybe President Mahoney need to take a page from uh, President Wang's actions. And President Wang had to resign uh, because he was actually also biased and he was actually doing the wrong things and so on. Is that is that the uh, behavior becoming of a university president? Or should do you, we feel, do, do you feel that the ultimate goal through this policy of harassment is to dismantle the Ahmed program, confirming San Francisco State's university complicity with Zionist organizations that seek to silence Palestinian voices on campuses across the country, not just at San Francisco State. Yes, University. yes, yes, I do. I, I believe that there is uh, there is a, uh, this attempt to silence everybody who speaks, all the critics, people who speak. It's an attempt to dismantle any institutional project. At San Francisco State, there is a program. The San Francisco State University already declared this collaboration and partnership with Academic Engagement Network. It's a pro-Israel group that has been set up by Mark Yudof, the former chancellor of UC, that's run by a woman at, uh, at Syracuse, who's at Syracuse University, who have targeted not only everybody else, they have actually targeted me personally, even when I received the AUP award. If you remember, by the way, President Mahoney never said to me congratulations never actually celebrated that, which is okay, whatever, it's her choice. But what I'm saying, they are collaborating with these organizations. They're collaborating with Hillel International and Hillel that expels Jewish students if they support BDS. I mean, so much for academic freedom, so much for freedom of speech. So San Francisco State is actually acting on the side of the oppressors today. San Francisco State's action and the university's action are doing this. And now they're trying to undermine and dismantle the Ahmed Salis program because it is an institutionalized program that teaches justice, that teaches truth. We don't actually, we don't tell students you need to be pro-Palestinian, pro-Israel or whatever. We just give students all, all the, the, the material. And as you know, by the way, the Rofer has sued me and said that I tried to indoctrinate the students and the university gave them 400 pages of my collaboration with al National University. And they were looking for a smoking gun. There is no smoking gun. Even Zionist students say that they come to my class and they're treated fairly because it is about really education. At the end of the day- Just to remind our listeners, they sued you and they lost in 2017. They lost big time. We actually defeated them big time when the judge dismissed with prejudice. They didn't just dismiss dismissed Judge Oreck, William Oreck that are dismissed with prejudice and told them to go do whatever they want with their thing and so on. The none of it is valid. Everything that they have said was completely, completely untrue. 
inaccurate and so on. But the problem is that they don't learn from history. They keep coming back at you. What is really unfortunate is that the University, San Francisco State University, which historically had the mission of social justice, San Francisco State University, what's the home? 1968 of the student strike led by the Black Student Union and the Third World Liberation Front, including the late uh, Terry Collins, the president of KPOO, may he rest in, in peace and power. Uh, this is this was this was something that demanded decolonizing the curriculum, demanding opening the university the classes to everybody else. And this is what we're doing in Ahmed. And Terry always said, Ahmed is doing what we wanted to do in 1968. This is unacceptable to San Francisco state leadership due to its corporatized relations, due to its corporatized, part of them has to do with Zionist group, part of them has to do with tech giants, because they're really more concerned about donations and money and about kind of like doing a few fluffy cosmetic changes and so on, then about really real education and pedagogy, which we are doing at Ahmed. They're very troubled by it, so they would like to, do, to dissolve the program in service to their Zionist uh, collaborators, and also to, so we would go away and we would not kind of continue teaching and educating and engaging in these kind of things that are really important to all communities, not only to Arab Palestinians and Muslims, to everybody. Actually, we have tons of supporters also from Jewish communities who also do not agree with San Francisco said that claims Zionism owns Jewishness and are actually quite offended by it. Our uh, Jewish sisters and brothers, Congress. Are how also big? Aware. How big was the the? Uh, you know, really, it's a big win uh, that the panel of your peers, a panel of academics, a panel of faculty, basically found that San Francisco State University is wrong, and you are right. And I demanded that the university apologize to me and uh, and the professor Kenakawa that they make the panel happen again and that they did us harm because the university was claiming that they did us no harm in the, in the hearing. The university said, oh, there is no harm. You didn't suffer any harm. And we and I spoke and Professor Kenakawa spoke, the president of the union spoke, one of our students, uh, former students, Salim Shahada spoke. One of our faculty colleagues, Blanca Mise, I mean, people spoke. I was represented by one of our colleagues, Sankey Hill from uh, San Jose State University. And people spoke and talked about what was going on, that there was a harm. I mean, that you, over you a year, Jamal, over a year, if you let me finish, a whole year, we, Tomomi Kenakawa and I, over two months, we were just running around trying to actually established that we did not engage in material support for terrorism and we're not going to be thrown in prison. Our own university provost said that you must be thrown in prison. Go find your own lawyers. If you do this, I support your academic freedom, but if you do this, you're going to end up in prison. So our faculty peers recognized that there was a huge violation of our record. So this was really big. And the reason it's really big, Jamal, is because you're talking about faculty at an institution where the president actually holds all the reins. The president is the CEO of the university. The president can decide, and the university provost, who is the vice president and so on, they can decide who gets the fellowships, who gets sabbaticals, who gets difference in pay leave. I'm a very prime example of that, by the way, because I, I've been retaliated again, again, and again. And uh, so for faculty actually to stand up and speak their conscience, and find the, the violation so grave that they have to speak up, speaks volumes. And for the university president to come and say, I don't care. And if you remember, uh, President Mahoney multiple times said, oh, I go by the internal processes of the university. I'm going to abide by that. So here's the internal processes of the university. How come you don't respect it? Well, how, you, question, how come you veto it? You know? The question is that is President Mahoney held accountable to her own faculty 
her students on campus, or is she held accountable to Zionist organizations and Silicon Valley? I mean, that's well, the she's question. held accountable to who pays her salary. And President Mahoney, this is this is also a huge scandal that people don't really know about, is that at the time when they cut down salaries faculty, when they fired a lot of lecturers, when they cut down, as you know, Jamal, as one of the supporters and very uh, kind of like a lecture, distinguished lecturers in Ahmed. And so they cut out our classes. They cut down all of us by over 60%. They slashed our classes. Very interesting. The university, CSU says they have, they have slush money now. But they say they have no money. But then they gave raises to all the university presidents. So we know to whom the university president is accountable. She's not accountable to us. Sounds like corporate America. It sounds yes. like corporate America when it is a corporation and and, yeah. and and stockholders lose money. The uh, CEOs make uh, more money. Now, President Mahoney's veto will trigger an automatic and independent arbitration hearing for a final decision on your grievance. Are you optimistic? Uh, I'm optimistic that the truth will come out. Uh, I, I'm old, of course. I, I'm, I would not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have come with the grievance, look, Jamal. It's very, very difficult to file a grievance. I stayed ten years at San Francisco State from 2007 to 2017 before I filed my first grievance, and that happened after Horowitz put Horowitz and Canary Mission put up those ugly posters against me and my students and my colleagues on campus. And the university said they're not going to do anything of that. And they're going to also treat white supremacists the same way that they treated they, they treated the Zionist posters and so on. So I had to do it after 10 years. Nobody likes to file grievances. Nobody likes to engage in things that are distracting. You want to be teaching. You want to be doing scholarship. You want to engage with the community. I would do. I want to build the program for which I was hired and which the university and the community was so excited to have and and the partnership with the community and so on. But I filed the grievance because this was this was wrong. This was so wrong. What the university did was so wrong. Not only what the Zionists did, and the Zionists always do this because they want to intimidate, they exaggerate, they lie, they publish lies. As we know, that until now, not, not once does uh, the executive director of Lawfare, Brooke Goldstein, she says, oh, we sued Rabab Abdelhadi. Yeah, we sued, you sued Rabab Abdelhadi, and you lost big time. Every single time. We sued her. She gets on Fox and Press, and she says, oh, and why don't you continue the truth? Why do you stop before you actually talk about the truth? The, state, the question here is that why is San Francisco State University a place of education, place of teaching, place of our community, place of the children who are the first in their, in their families to go to college, students who are undocumented, kids who are embroiled in, in multiple financial loans and so on. Why is this place actually not fulfilling the interests of the students, fulfilling the interests of the community, fulfilling the interests of the faculty, but actually slapping the faculty across the face? and saying, it doesn't matter what you say, because I'm going to do whatever I want. And then the whole question about democratic processes. I mean, there is all this talk in the US and in Washington about third world dictators and lack of accountability and so on. What is San Francisco State University president doing now? She 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 rejected the, the, the ruling by a faculty. She rejected the student uh, uh, the decision. They rejected every uh, negotiations and so on. Everything that the university president is doing, the university administration is doing, smells, feels, and tastes like draconian, dictatorial, authoritarian behavior that is using McCarthyist-like tactics to intimidate, to chill, to silence, because they do not like people who say things 
that are not favored by their donors and by their supporters and by the people who are they are whining and dining with. This is really what's going on. So I didn't have a choice. And it's not like I like to do it. I didn't have a choice. I had to do it. Truth came out. Now it's really up to the university president to actually maybe see the wrongs in her in her world or in her ways or in 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 in, uh, in continuing with this. It's up to really it's up to her. It's up to her. Everybody is really, really upset. So, so assuming the, the final decision comes from this independent arbitration in your favor. So what's next? What did she uh, what's gonna happen? What's next is what will happen is what happens. I mean, I have to do another grievance, by the way, coming up around the whole question of the violation of my uh, contract and uh, the debate and switch that San Francisco State brings me to build this summit. So this program basically deployed the funds of support of everything else. So we, we have that coming up as well. Now, if that happens, that's binding. And that, by the way, did happen with multiple of my colleagues who SFSU brought in. Uh, baited them and basically violated their contract and then uh, San Francisco State had to retreat from that. Now, we're not sure if San Francisco, how much San Francisco State is going to fight because at the end of the day, they're also accountable to their Zionist partners. They are accountable, as you remember, Jewish Federation of San Francisco, Jamal. You remember on September 14th, when uh, President Mahoney published that op-ed in Jay Weekly and deleted from the op-ed the words that she mentioned in the campus memo about Islamophobia and black lives, she removed all of it and only kept anti-Semitism as if, as if she actually think because of anti-Semitism, unlike uh, anti-Semitism to anti-Zionism, which, you know, triggering to all of us. Uh, that she was congratulated by the executive director and the major fundraiser of the Jewish Federation of San Francisco. Which, by the way, they, they supported the Canary Mission. They funded Canary yeah. Mission. And they spent millions of, dollars, millions of dollars supporting uh, basically uh, racist organizations across the globe, not only in the United States, but racist, the homophobic, AFD in, in, in Germany. I mean, they, they're, they're the problem. This is, this is really the problem, the dilemma that San Francisco State faces is that where are you going to put your lot? Are you going to stand up with these pro-Israel groups that are really right-wing, that are white supremacists, against the environment, against women, against queer rights, against Arabs, against Palestinians, against Muslims, against your own faculty and students? Or are you going to speak, uh, finally, acknowledge the truth and admit the truth? It's up to San Francisco State what they want to do. I am very confident. I'm very confident that... And it's not just me, Jamal. I mean, I'm, when I'm speaking, I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking for my colleagues. I'm speaking for my students, for our communities. I was selected also by the community, not only by the universe to come and build this program. And I draw my strength from my community. And San Francisco State needs to decide on whose side they're going to be standing. I'm not going away. Our students are not going away. Ahmed Studies is not going away. They try to chip at it little by little every single day we find more and more and more things. They even now, they took a decision two weeks ago to prevent us from offering our courses across CSU campus. They slash our courses again. I mean, I, I submitted the courses, they said no. They come up and they say, you need to offer two intro-level courses at the same time. And I'm saying, it doesn't work. That's not the way we build the program because they have no sense. They don't understand what we need. And they are trying to basically kind of like, you know, the, the, the monster that slashes everywhere and lashes out at everybody and so on, and don't care who they destroy in the process and so on. We have a program we care about. We have a community we care about. They don't care, and but they're going to continue to do it. And we will. We have no choice but to keep speaking truth to power, 
speak, protecting ourselves, coming together. And this, the ruling by the faculty was a huge vindication to all of us. I should say also my colleague, Professor Tenakawa, also has a grievance coming up as well, similar, identical to mine. So that's going to be happening uh, as well. We have support from the union. We have support from our communities. We have support from our students. Uh, we really hope that San Francisco State will voice of reason and to the voice of justice and quit catering to, to donors and to big tech and to actually an injustice. I mean, this is what universe should be all about, but we cannot make her do it. It's, it's her choice, what she would like to do. But we're, we're, we're standing for what we want. So. Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, thank you again for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, always, Jamal. And good luck in all that you do. That's the voice in the face of Professor Rabab Abdelhadi, founder and director of the Ahmed Program at San Francisco State, speaking yet again. And we've had her on, as you said, Jamal, so many times over the years here on Arab Talk. And she continues to be assaulted, not only by anti-Palestinian, anti-free speech, anti you know, academic freedom, uh, uh, commun- you know, f- people and uh, groups. But now, yet again, she's being uh, attacked. I believe it's an attack against her uh, f- academic freedom rights and First Amendment rights by the president of San Francisco State, who vetoed a faculty resolution and faculty investigation, basically saying the cancellation of the Zoom uh, teaching on Palestine, on Palestine uh, should have never been canceled by Zoom, and should we should uphold the highest principles of academic freedom. So let me ask you, Jamal, you met with the president of San Francisco State. She made all these promises to you and to our community over the years. She She's fallen by the wayside like the previous two presidents we met with. Absolutely. And and that's that's the case. It's like the same old song and dance. Uh, you know, we have a civilized meeting. The community, I shouldn't say I met with them, but that's the community really at, at, at large, uh, comprised of both, both alumni, uh, students, uh, faculty, uh, community leaders. And they come up uh, with you know <laughs> promises, empty promises, and at, at the end of the day, they work against the interest of their students and their faculty. Just you've been in academia how many years now? Well, twenty-five plus years now, Jamal. So twenty-five plus years you're in academia. You have a long history. When, how many times have you seen basically the administration go against the, its own faculty? Well, I'll t- uh, and side and side with an outsider, basically. Well, I think that's a really great question, Jamal, and I actually have pretty good insight into that because I monitor that that situation very aggressively. And there's a recent case from uh, you know Florida, the university in uh, in in Florida, where three faculty members tried to, you know, were scheduled to give testimony. That went against uh, Governor Ron DeSantis's uh, view of vaccines, and the university tried to shut it down. There was a national backlash against that, and the university reneged. So academic freedom in this country still stands at the pinnacle of one of the most important uh, rights that academics have while working at an institution. Your right to do research, your right to speak, your right to write— 
whatever you want in the in the spirit of academic uh, pursuits and and freedoms. But there is the Palestine exception still, Jamal, because Professor Abdul Hadi, other academics who try to speak on behalf of their critical analysis of the apartheid state of Israel and the U.S. involvement, are the only ones. I mean, you could talk. You, you could talk. There are people, as we've said, who are who vigorously attack uh, the U.S. government policies on everything from immigration to economics to, you know, racial uh, justice and are able to do that freely. The one exception is when people criticize the apartheid state of Israel. This is when you have presidents of universities, and in this case, San Francisco State's president, caving to uh, the craven uh, desires of a, of a few donors. I mean, that's really what it is. It's the donors. And, 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 and the sad thing about the current president, President Mahoney, she's a historian and uh, she stands she on the wrong better. side of history. She, she stands on the wrong side of history. That's she the is. sad thing about it. I mean, we keep repeating this. This is like we are like almost a broken record about <laughs> what's going on now, updating our listeners and viewers. Israel has been basically found by the Human Rights Watch as an apartheid regime by its own human rights organization, Beth Salem also classified it as an apartheid regime. And, and so at a time when basically the international community is reprimanding and condemning Israel's atrocities and practices of apartheid, we see the opposite on college campuses still, and, and we'll talk about this later on, uh, you know, uh, in the intro, we, we said we're going to talk about the London School of Economics. Right. Just a mere fact, because I, I've actually watched the whole thing, not just a snippet of the video when they chased away uh, basically the Israel's uh, ambassador to the to the UK and booing her but the students said that, that she should not have been invited to in the first with. place exactly yeah because because you're bringing someone who advocates for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians who advocates for the building of illegal colonial settlements yet you give them a platform and a forum to talk about that and whitewash their image and the students they are smarter than their teachers. They are smarter than well than the, administra the administration, than the administration, and they right. realize this. So, so we'll talk about this later on. But, but I, first, I, wanna, uh, I do want to go back to your point, Jamal, and it's a really good point, and it's the question you ask. Myself, having been in, in the academy for so many years, and and bearing witness to this, and seeing what people are permitted to speak about on a daily basis, and how it's protected nationally and internationally, that academics all over the world are given the not only the opportunity but have the right within the context of you know scientific investigation to speak and write on whatever they deem you know important to them it's only the issue of palestine in the academy and i would say jamal only in the united states where that issue gets railroaded by pro israel forces and you know what happened at the London School of Economics, we can apply that same kind of analysis here in the United States is we want to ask our listeners, why would any university go and support any official 
that is, you know, um, representing an apartheid state. You would never do that. They didn't do it in South Africa in the 80s. That was one of the things that led to the breakup of the apartheid state in South Africa. Yet Israel gets away with it on a daily basis. But as you said, students are a lot smarter than the administration. And any time an Israeli official speaks anywhere in the world, they will be confronted, Jamal. They will be confronted. And and this is exactly what happened at San Francisco State University a few years ago, right. which pretty much started this whole attack on Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi and, and her program. Uh, we'll come back to this uh, later on, Jess, but this is a big story. Uh, we've also been talking about all these Israeli companies conducting surveillance right, right here in the United States. They've been condemned by the Biden administration, and they've been blacklisted. Now a new story, and this came out because two Israeli soldiers basically were the whistleblowers that right. the Israeli military uh, has been for the past two years conducting broad surveillance effort in the occupied uh, West Bank to monitor Palestinians uh, by integrating facial recognition with a growing network of cameras. Uh, you and I who have been there, we've seen these cameras. I mean, these cameras in the old city They're and everywhere. other places. They're everywhere. But also cameras and smartphones. They've actually encouraged Israelis and especially the ones who serve in the military to use their smartphones and share pictures with, with, the, with the military. The surveillance was rolled out, as I've mentioned, two years ago. And it's called Blue Wolf that captures photos of Palestinian faces that, and matches them to database of images so extensive that one former Israeli soldier described it as the army's secret Facebook for Palestinians. That's what they nickname it. Facebook for Palestinians. The phone app flashes in different colors to alert soldiers if a person is to be detained, arrested, or left. And basically just to... to uh, alert them that this person is is Palestinian. So it's 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 really a profiling system yeah, of uh, what Jews I, and Palestinians. Right. And what I want to say about that is a couple of things. Isn't it ironic, Jamal, that this story comes out during the same week where Facebook, among the most reviled companies now, <laughs> after changing its name from Facebook to Meta because it received so much negative pub publicity, is decided this week, actually this week, to drop its facial recognition project. So Facebook, which has been condemned also internationally and worldwide for some of its activities, is dropping this platform that they use for facial recognition. Yet the Israelis, despite the international condemnation, continue to use it. And the one thing that people need to know, one of the reasons that Facebook dropped their facial recognition uh, project, and I should add temporarily, um, is because the research comes out that the facial recognition program is is significantly more inaccurate with people of color. So with brown, brown and black folks, any community of color, whomever they may be, are subjected to the most errors when it comes to facial recognition. So we know that this facial recognition program that the Israeli military is using against Palestinian civilians, the large totality of the population in the West Bank, is being used to develop this database and probably Ill with errors that are significant. And we know how many people get arrested 
get detained without charges. So this is part of the occupation plan that they will use any form of technology to attempt to control and to manage the civilian population in Palestine. It's absolutely outrageous. I should we should add also just that official use of facial recognition technology has been banned by at least a dozen of US cities including San Francisco and Boston. This is according to the advocacy group, uh, the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. And this month, uh, the European Parliament called for a ban on police use of facial recognition in public places. So, (laughs) I mean, people, of course, they want to reject this. They reject this because it's an invasion of their privacy. And it's inaccurate, and, Jamal. And it's, it's inaccurate, and it profiles. It this profiles. The whole issue, like when, when they do it to Palestinians, as I said, but they don't do it to Israeli Jews. And I have actually a lot of like testimonies by, by these soldiers. You know, I was looking at the Israeli media uh, because at one point uh, the proposal was rejected to pass a law to you know to enforce it, facial recognitions in public places inside Israel was was rejected, and so in response to the questions that the surveillance program that uh, the Israeli occupation forces said routine sec- uh, security operations were part of the fight against terrorism, so they they fall back on the terrorism uh, claim and the efforts to improve the quality of life. Here is the funny joke. For the Palestinian population to improve the quality of life. For the Palestinian who's going to believe that, Jamal? Is, is anybody I mean, going to believe is, that the occupier and the aggressor wants to improve the quality of life for their, the people for whom they're occupying? Does anyone so the, believe so that? So the Israelis reject it. They pass it on the Palestinians, of course, without their permission. And, and, and this Israeli yeah, soldier was joke. saying... Uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable if they used it in the mall because they were proposing malls in my hometown. Let's put it uh, that way. Uh, this is uh, the you know people worry about fingerprinting, but this is that but this is that several times over, and total violation of privacy of an entire people. So even the whistleblowers are 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 talking about it and say how it has been rejected in Israel, but now. It's been applied to the Palestinians in the uh, in occupied West Bank. And just interesting uh, enough, I noticed a tweet on November 8th by Edward Snowden. Remember him? Of course. <laughs> I mean, again, a lot of people, for, he was the first person basically to speak against these things and surveillance, right. et cetera, in the United right. States. And now he became persona non grata, that having to live, I think, in Russia. And then he, he tweeted and he said, I once warned that the architecture of oppression was near. It has arrived. That's, wow. that's the tweet yeah, by Edward Snowden okay. on November 8th. Speaking about the Israeli system. Yeah. Yeah, well, listen, Edward Snowden, whatever you believe about him or think about him or believe about where he should be and uh, is considered one of the foremost experts in the world on these security issues, Jamal. And if he says the architecture of oppression has arrived, guess what? It has. But I have I, I should we should let Edward Snowden know, Jamal, that he's a little behind the curve because the Israeli apartheid system has been working on this architecture of oppression using cyber techniques, 
using facial recognition, using AI. They've been working on it. And the other thing that's disgusting, and we, we, we should point this out, the oppression architecture that the Israelis use, Jamal, they then monetize it by you know, creating startups and landing in the United States and using that technology to basically harvest you know uh you know investors in the United States to invest in this technology of oppression so it's a pretty- and sell it and sell it to oppressive regimes right. like Saudi Arabia, the UAE, UAE and, and so forth, who, yeah. who spy on their own yeah. population. Yeah. So, why are, so, so here's the question. Why are we supporting a regime that is not only an apartheid regime, but is exporting cybersecurity oppression uh, all over the world to the most oppressive countries in the world? And And this maybe is the segue, Jamal, to our next segment, is that the... The Israeli uh, apartheid regime gets a pass. They got a pass with Trump. They're getting a pass with Biden. They're getting a pass with Blinken. They got a pass with Pompeo. They give the Israelis billions of dollars a year, free money, as well as billions of dollars a year in loan guarantees. And they make a simple request of the apartheid regime, Jamal, a simple, simple request, open the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem, so Palestinians have access, Palestinian Americans, you know, who live there, have access to the U.S. consulate, which had been in existence for how many decades, Jamal? There was only- well, that's why uh, I'm glad you mentioned this, uh, because w- this is not a request that kind of out- came out of the blue. You know, just a reminder to our listeners here, the Trump administration shuttered the U.S. Uh, Jerusalem consulate, which has been there for decades, uh, an office uh, which was basically kind of was serving as the de facto embassy to Palestinians, because this consulate... The Council in Jerusalem, even before 1967, existed. It existed before 1948 and so forth. And then uh, Trump, when he decided to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, he closed it down, shut it down and said, well, we're combining the two. Hence, uh, you know, preventing Palestinians and, and, and Palestinian Americans from accessing it. So, So now, as kind of part of a change of policy, maybe, rapprochement between the US ad, ad, new U.S. administration and the Palestinian Authority, uh, you know, to they said, okay, we're going to open it because that consulate has been servicing thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of Palestinians every, every year. Many of them, they can't even go to, to West Jerusalem, uh, you know, because uh, actually that consulate service to Palestinians who live in East Jerusalem and those with Israeli ID who can make it, but also it used to go, it used to send an, an envoy to Ramallah and use the Canadian right. Right. mission there That's to right. meet with Palestinian Americans, renewing their passports or or people submitting uh, for visas, birth certificates, uh, you, you, you name it. And so now the Biden administration wants to reverse that. Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett on Saturday said, "No, f you. We have no room. We he, he, that's, and you know he said there was no room in Jerusalem 
for for the concert. There was this building. This building, by the way, it's a building that they rent out from. A, they rented out from. A, it's a Palestinian-owned home, you know, for many years. Uh, and they said we have no room for a U.S. consulate. There is no room for another American consulate in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of one state, and that's the state of of Israel. And then uh, the Israeli foreign minister Yair Lapid suggested that the consulate uh, instead it could move or could be opened in in Ramallah, in the occupied West Bank. So this is the this is the you know biting the hand that feeds you analogy or metaphor, Jamal. With all the billions of dollars, all the largesse that the United States gives to this apartheid state, this simple request, basically the prime minister tells the Biden administration and our secretary of state, to go F themselves, that they're not going to do it and giving some lame excuse that there's no room when in fact this home, this Palestinian home, has been used as the consulate for decades and decades and decades. And uh, I know you've been there many times. I've been there a few times. To say that there's no room is complete BS. and um, Complete nonsense. It's nonsense. I mean, there has been... You know, to the best of my recollection, and before 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 I was born, uh, in fact, there was a consulate in the old city, right, uh, by Jaffa Gate, and then they moved one on Nablus Road, uh, which in 1967 that was the almost the separation line between the West Jerusalem and East Jerusalem after the Nakba in 1948, and then and then later on they moved to uh, Mamilla, you know area and 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 this concert has been serving palestinians now like as i said for for decades and and since the move they shut it down like just like that's just like oh we don't need two in in one city but, but my question is what will the biden administration do when you get slapped in the face by an apartheid regime that you give billions of dollars to, that you can't even get a simple request to, we're not saying open, we're saying reopen a consulate in Jerusalem for Americans to have easy access to. And what well, will- Well, this is the report that Blinken has not provided a firm date for uh, the reopening of the consulate. Yeah, because when he we'll was see. pressed and he said he have implied that Israeli resistance to the move could act as a hindrance. I mean, I'll tell you what's a hindrance, Jamal. It's, Occupation and apartheid is a hindrance. Okay? Well, it's also a hindrance for taxpayers' money who shell out in excess of $10 billion a year right. uh, to Israel. I mean, so they can say, well, also, maybe we don't feel like writing that check well, if— they have we'll see. any kind of, you know, integrity hey, in, in, in implying. Hey, Jamal, we only have a few minutes left. I think we have to talk about the the Israeli ambassador to the UK. She got um, she got a very warm reception uh, from the London School of Economics. I just think that this was such a delight, Jamal, uh, to see that the ambassador to the UK could be shouted out, shouted down, confronted for her oppression the of her government that she represents for the apartheid practices and have to stop her 
her so-called lecture and be whisked away. I think it's awesome. And let's let's just call it what it is, Jamal. I mean, the London School of Economics is considered one of the foremost academic institutions in the world. So my my comment to the Israeli ambassador and ambassadors all over the world, you you can't speak at academic institutions and feel like you can get away with it freely without being confronted for your apartheid and and occupational, you know, policies. Well, this is, I mean, you know, here is the interesting thing because we started the program talking right. to Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. About for, and again, yeah. this is a reminder to what happened at San Francisco State University when when they invited near Berkat, the uh, former mayor of occupied Jerusalem. And he was booed and he was pretty much chased away, uh, kicked away, you know, from campus by the students who didn't want to listen to him. And then he was invited again. The university apologized to him, but he did not come. He did not return uh, because uh, the the assessment was uh, he was going to be met with the same resistance right. uh, that and rejection. And so now, fast forward years to, to now 2021, this is, as you've said, at a very prestige, prestigious university, the London School of Economics, uh, Zippy Hotevli, she gets invited to take part of, I guess, a debate or a lecture on Middle East peace. I mean, they always hide behind this title, Perspectives on Israel and Palestine. It's insulting. And and the Students' Union Debating Society, which uh, I think uh, who uh, I think the body that invited her, faced a campus backlash over inviting her. Student groups, all kinds of student groups, accused uh, Hatavli, who is everybody knows she's a hardliner with links to Israel's right-wing Likud party and former minister in charge of Jewish settlement expansion. She was in charge in the illegally occupied West Bank. Uh, she was always espousing hate, hate speech, and contributing, that's what they said, to the material oppression of, of Palestinians. And they said, you can't invite her. You know, uh, the protesters said that the ambassador had a track record of anti-Palestinian racism, and and she sh- you shouldn't invite someone who represented apartheid. Well, Those are you're not gonna, on campus. You're not going to like my comment about this, but I have a slightly different view, which is, Invite her, fine, but then let the protesters have their voice too. Like, well, what I'm saying, this is not me saying this. This is what the other no, groups, I get it. student groups. No, I'm just saying my perspective is slightly different. I say if you want to invite a representative of a criminal apartheid state, that's fine, but then they have to be confronted by people who have a very different point of view. And uh, I don't care if she gets invited, but it needs to be called out. So invite her if you want, but it should be called out as it was. And she was humiliated, and she had to leave. Anyways, we'll, well be following. And we'll be- that's what happened. The students were chanting, Israel is a terrorist state. And then they were chasing after her to her car, saying, aren't you ashamed? You could see that uh, on, on, the, on the video. Uh, I should say that... Uh, what the group said also about the uh, invitation, and they said it's a direct contradiction of the LSE Student Union motion passed in June 2021, 
which committed to ensuring that the university is free from discrimination and plays an active role in dismantling systems of oppression at home and, ab and, and abroad, as well as establish an apartheid free zone that does not normalize relations with any regime of racism, oppression, and discrimination. I'm just giving you their sure, point sure. of view, sure, sure. why they thought the university was violating sure. uh, this motion that passed sure. on uh, in June oh, okay. uh, I mean, 2021. I uh, and we should say, and then they said, there is no room for colonial apologism on our LSE campus. It's all true. Uh, it's all true. I should, I should just say that a statement was issued by the British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss. Uh, uh, and she blast, blasted the incident, writing the treatment of Israeli Ambassador Zebi Hatavli last night and the attempt to silence her was unacceptable. Okay. We well, have to report on both sides of, of the two sure, different Sure, we'll, and we'll, we'll continue to follow this story. I'm sure there will be follow-up. Well, we're coming to an end to the show went so quickly, Jess. I know. What's, <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about, Jamal, obviously. And so we, we will continue to bring these stories because none of these stories made the mainstream media. So it's important that we bring these to light. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to download all our shows there and we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>